0: Happy Transfiguration Sunday. I'm sure most of you woke up this morning and said, yay, it's Transfiguration Sunday. Let's have a party. Well, we'll do that here. So every year as the season of Lent begins, we have Transfiguration Sunday, where we remember this rather curious account from the gospel of Jesus going up the mountain with some disciples and lights and clouds and messages. And it's, it's a little... Bizarre, a little interesting, a little mystical, and um, that's, that's how we begin the season of Lent. And before we hear the story itself, I want to just point out a couple things that I think are really important to help our understanding of this passage. Um, first off, the, the words that, Jesus, that God speaks to the disciples are the same words that we hear when Jesus is baptized. God's voice says, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And then God adds one more thing, which you'll hear in just a minute. And then it's also important to remember that Moses and Elijah were there representing the law and the prophets. These, these were two of the most important figures in Jewish history representing the law and the prophets. And they, according to their chronology, they had died hundreds of years before, but they show up at this mystical encounter kind of representing the fullness of the tradition. And it's important to note that Jesus urges his disciples saying, do not be afraid. This is one of the most common teachings or even commandments, if you will, in all of Scripture. God says over and over and over again to God's people, don't be afraid. It's the, essentially the last thing Jesus says in the, uh, in the Gospels. It's you know, this sense of presence and, and recurring message. Um, and finally, it's worth pointing out that the word transfigure comes from a Greek word, metamorphosis, which we know when we think about butterflies transforming and changing And it's the same word that's used in um, a scripture passage from Romans that a lot of people find very helpful, where the Apostle Paul tells his followers, um, the the church, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed, be transfigured, if you will, be metamorphosized by the renewing of your minds, which is part of the reason we do a lot of thinking and learning around here, so that you might discern what the will of God is for for daily living. So this is really... um, It's a story about Jesus having this sort of visual, physical, fantastic kind of transformation, and it's part of the ongoing invitation to God's people to be thinking about our transformation, how God's transforming us and even transforming the world. Listen now for the account of the Transfiguration from Matthew's Gospel. The Bible tells us that Jesus took Peter and James and John with him up a high mountain by themselves, And he was transfigured before them. His face was shining like the sun, and his clothes were bright as light. And then suddenly, Moses and Elijah were there with him, talking to Jesus. Peter said, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you like, I'll make three dwellings, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified, and they fell to the ground. Jesus went over to them and touched them and said, get up. Do not be afraid. They looked up. And they saw Jesus alone. Then as they walked down the mountain, Jesus told them, tell no one of this vision until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Thanks be to God for the stories of Scripture. Anybody here ever have a mountaintop experience? Some of us have had the good fortune to actually get on top of actual physical mountains and it's a great thing to do i talked with several people after the first service who had that opportunity when you get up on top of a mountain it's like the air is a little fresher and the the view is spectacular you know the image on the screen is is evocative of that And when we get the chance to do that for me anyway it feels like everything's just a little clearer and purpose is more more visible and um god seems a little closer if we don't get the chance to get on a physical mountain, I think in one way or another, we all have mountaintop experiences in life. Sometimes it's the birth of a child or a grandchild or a new relationship or a new job or a new experience or some sort of new thing that, again, gives us that sense of clarity and purpose and direction that kind of wakes us up. And think about the gift of life itself. Mountaintop experiences have a way of doing that, and they're special, and there are times when we can feel closer to God and maybe hear God's voice a little more clearly. So it's no surprise that in the Bible, there are several very important things that happen on top of mountains. One of them is the Ten Commandments. In the book of Exodus, we read about Moses going up and spending a long time on the mountain and coming down with those stone tablets with the teachings that served as guidance for the people. Teachings, we don't have all of them on the screen, but teachings, you'll have no other gods, don't make idols, honor the Sabbath, don't take the Lord's name in vain, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lust after your neighbor's stuff. That's my paraphrase of the last one about coveting. We don't use that word coveting a lot, but it's a certainly an important commandment. That all happened from from a mountain. And the people looked up to this mountain with, with fear and trembling, and God spoke at that mountain for the people. And then in the New Testament, we read about Jesus, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount biblical archaeologists have tried to figure out which mountain it was that's not really important the thing is it's 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 from a mountain that Jesus was up there and the people maybe had that sense of heightened awareness or or openness or or spirit as Jesus spoke all these teachings blessed are the peacemakers love your enemies don't love you can't love both god and money you know turn turn the other cheek do unto others as you'd like them to do to you, the, the golden rules as we call it. And then maybe most importantly, Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? All those things happened on mountains. The prophet Isaiah had a mountaintop experience as well. And this comes to us, you know, the prophet Isaiah, for those of you who do Bible study might know that Isaiah... A lot of doom and gloom in Isaiah, a lot of negativity, a lot of calling out the people for their sins, and a lot of sense of God is not happy with the way the people are living. But there are little pockets of Isaiah where, where there's this image presented of how God's going to make things good in the end. It reminds me of that Frederick Buechner quote, that the, last thing is never the, the, the worst thing is never the last thing, If there's always hope to keep, keep moving forward. So Isaiah has this image on a mountain of God's renewed humanity, of God's renewed creation. And it involves a lot of food, food and drink. So, hey, who wouldn't, who wouldn't like that? This reading actually comes up in the lectionary sometimes on Easter Sunday. So there's real good news on this mountain. Listen for God's word from Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And God will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the covering that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken, it will be said on this day See, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation thanks be to god for the words of scripture so mountaintop experiences i think give us a new sense of energy a new sense of focus a new sense of hope a new ability to to hear god in some way shape or form more clearly but the reality is for anybody who's ever climbed a mountain you know you can't stay on the mountain forever you got to go back down and get back to the daily routine of things so in the transfiguration story, these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, have this mystical encounter with Jesus, and God says, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. I think that, that phrase, listen to him, was meant to be their instruction for when they went back down the mountain, back into their routine of daily living. That God was saying, okay, maybe you can sense things are, are, are really clear up here on the mountain, but in the daily routines of things, In the mundane day-to-day tasks, you need to be listening very carefully. And that's hard to do. It's very hard to do. It's hard to do in our noisy world. Most of us have TVs and radios on an awful lot of the day, and those TVs and radios are filled with ads telling us of all the things that we should have and need to be happy and um, all sorts of political stuff, some of which is really important, some of which is a lot of whatever. But it's, it's a lot of noise, right? There's a lot of noise around us. And most of us have, you know... One or more of these devices or tablets or laptops or whatever. And it's all too easy to get sucked into the visual and audio noises from those things. And so sometimes we just don't listen to the world around us. We don't hear and see what's going on. Being a Christian means cultivating the art of of listening. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Lent's a great time for us to be intentional about our listening. Listening to our world, listening to one another, listening for God, and listening to our lives, as Parker Palmer likes to say. Listening to our lives. So maybe for Lent this year, you know, sometimes people talk about Lent, going to give up alcohol, give up chocolate, or give up, you know, desserts or whatever. That, that's all fine and good, and, you know, Lent's not a diet plan, remember that. But um, <laughs> maybe for Lent this year, you want to consider giving up some noise in your life, whatever that might look like, maybe a little less TV, maybe a little less phone, maybe a little less whatever, the things that are filling our ears and our eyes a little too much. When was the last time you sat down in a chair or outside and just sat for like five minutes with no phone, with no book, with no nothing, and just looked and listened sat still, not even trying to pray, just sat and listened. Maybe you want to try that. Listening is a lost art, and it's one of the most important things I think we need to do as Christians. We believe God speaks to us through Jesus Christ, so as Christians, we need to pay attention to him in particular. And one place where we hear Jesus, obviously, is in the Gospels. We encouraged people to read Matthew earlier this year. If you didn't get to do it, hey, what a great thing to do during the season of Lent, read the Gospel according to Matthew. One of the best-known chapters in Matthew is Matthew chapter 25, which we've been paying a little more attention to here at Covenant of Late. This is where Jesus speaks very profoundly after reminding the disciples that they are beloved and calling them to follow and live in this new life. He tries to make it very clear for them what it's all about. And he says, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was in prison, and you visited me. I was naked, had no clothes. You gave me clothes. I was lonely, and you visited me. All those things. And the disciples are like, huh, what? Jesus, we didn't do this for you. And then he tells them, You know, sort of the punchline of this biblical narrative. Whenever you did that for anybody, the least of my brothers and sisters, the least of God's people, you did it for me. So I think in this verse, Jesus was encouraging us to listen and to look at the people in our lives and to realize that all of us are beloved children of God and that we're called, as followers of Jesus, to try to love one another and make the world a better place. So we encourage very simple and basic acts of listening and loving And so we're part of the Presbyterian Church USA, which realizes that living the Christian life is more than individual actions, that we need to do things together, and we need to look at the big picture of systems and structures. So that's why we signed on for this Matthew 25 initiative of the Presbyterian Church. Hundreds, if not thousands, of churches have already signed on, which means we're intentionally listening for Jesus, listening for the Word of God, to help us build congregational vitality, dismantle structural racism, and eradicate systemic poverty. Good thing we don't have ambitious goals, right? Ha ha ha. Um, These are important things for us to wrestle with, and this congregation has been wrestling with those issues for a while now, and we will continue to do that. But to do it well, we need to maintain that posture of listening, of really listening for what God is saying. So Lent's a good time for us to remember this. And Um, the transfiguration is a perfect time for us to remember this this call to listen to learn god might seem more present on the mountaintops and in the words of scripture but you know we need to listen in our daily lives as well the non-mountaintop experiences and so we can look and listen for god wherever not just sunday morning at church but sunday afternoon when you bump into somebody Maybe those words in Matthew 25 will speak to you in a new way and call you to treat one another a little bit differently. You know, we, we, we look for God in the valleys of life, not just at the, uh, the high points or the religious times of life. And I think we need to do that with creation as well. Circling back to the creation theme, sometimes when we think about experiencing God in nature, we think about the, you know, the Mount Everest or the Pacific Ocean or the, the glorious beaches, all of which are wonderful. If we get the chance to go to those places, you know, hey, sign me up, I'll be there and I really think we can experience God there. But when we look and listen a little more carefully, I think we can experience God just about anywhere in creation. When I was a kid growing up in Connecticut, my dad used to go to this place called Spicebush Swamp in West Hartford, Connecticut. He'd go there regularly with his binoculars to look at the birds, and that's where I learned about downy woodpeckers and um, all all sorts of uh, black-capped chickadees and cardinals and all all those great birds. Um, And we go to this place, Spicebush Swamp. It's Uh, a few acres park. There's a little pond in the middle of it, and as you might imagine, a place that's called a swamp. There were some places that were kind of mushy and gushy, and you walk along, and all of a sudden, you're ankle deep, and who knows what, and that, you know, that was just the nature of it, but we like to go there, um, walk around, enjoy God's creation, and I learned a little bit about birds. You know, my dad often brought our dog with us. We had a big standard poodle, and um, the dog would run around and bark and stuff, and I think the birds didn't really like that. I'm not sure my dad ever really connected the dots. Maybe he just liked having the dog along, whatever. It was great. Anyway, the point being, we enjoyed being there. When I was back in Connecticut for a high school reunion this fall, I stopped by and took these pictures. It was a beautiful day. I'm thinking about this place that was special to me as a kid where I used to hang out with my dad, and it's, just, it's a swamp, Right? Well, I thought about that when I read a book that was given to me for a Christmas gift this year by my sister-in-law. The book's called Fen, Bog, and Swamp, and I can't read the subtitle from there, A Short History of Peatland Destruction and Its Role in the Climate Crisis. Um, wonderful author. If you've ever read anything by Annie P., I can't pronounce her last name, but you can read it there. She's a beautiful uh, writes beautiful prose um, about something that we might not think about paying attention to. I mean, who really spends a lot of time in bogs and swamps and fens? That's the English definition. There's actually subtle differences in all of those different types of bodies of water in terms of where they get the water, whether it comes from a lake or from the rain or whatever. But the point being, these places that we often go to and get stuck ankle deep in things, and oftentimes there's decaying trees and and leaves, and sometimes they don't smell very good, but they're actually full of all sorts of life, and they're vital to the ecosystem in which we live. Something like 3% of the Earth's surface area is, by definition, peatland of some sorts, or swamps, or bogs like this, and it's vital that we pay attention to them for the sake of creation care. And also, thanks to this book, it's just fascinating to, to look at them with new eyes and, and think about the, the life that's there. So next time I'm in Connecticut, I'm gonna have fun going back to Spicebush Swamp and looking around a little bit more. The point is, you know, I mean, I'll never look at a marshland the same way again, but as we, as we conclude our creation care series and as we enter this holy season of Lent, I guess the simple message for today is to look and listen. To look and listen all around us. To look and listen to creation, to look and listen um, to God, look and listen in our lives in all sorts of ways. The reality is we can hear God speaking to us through scripture. So if you want to read the Bible like Dr. Nick encouraged us to, fantastic. That's a great way to listen for God. We can also listen to God through people. Jesus calls us to feed hungry people and, and pay attention to poor and sick and outcast people, and that's fantastic And we do that. We're also called to love our neighbors, yeah? our co-workers, our schoolmates, our family members, our loved ones, the people we sometimes take for granted. We're also called to love God, or we can certainly hear God on the mountains, at the beaches, in those glorious places, but we can also listen to God in a swamp. Let us pray. Loving God, thank you for the gift of today. Thank you for the gift of this big, beautiful world that you have entrusted to our care. We pray for the wisdom and the courage and the grace to do a better job taking care of this world. We've made such a mess of it in so many ways. Humble us, open our ears, open our hearts, help us to listen to one another, help us to work together for the common good, for the sake of this creation. And help us to keep listening for you, for your call to us, your your message of love, that we are your beloved children. And that because of that love, we're called to share this love with the world. Guide us and lead us, in Jesus' name, amen.